Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Happy to be joined by our next guest, the lead Nuggets writer for Mile High Sports. You can find him as the host of the Pickaxe and Roll podcast, Ryan Blackburn, NBA Blackburn. On Twitter, I had an opportunity to sit down on the Pickaxe and Roll podcast last night. You can get that anywhere you get your podcast, MileHighSports.com, or just grab it on YouTube uh, where you get to see our lovely faces or, you know, um, do what a lot of the kids do. Just run it on YouTube and don't watch one of the two. But Ryan Blackburn joins us. Uh, and Ryan, thanks so much. I, I wanted to start off with your your piece today for My Life Sports, the idea that uh, the X factors for the series. You and I talked about some of this last night on the podcast, but today your argument uh, is an interesting one, and I've been sharing it with Sandy uh, during the breaks. Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who, is, of course, when we talk about the holdovers in this series, Nikola Jokic and Anthony Davis were on the Lakers in the 2020 Western Conference Finals in the bubble. Nikola Jokic, uh, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr. Were there, were there for the Nuggets as well. And Contavious Caldwell-Pope, the only other player involved in that for the Lakers, Guarding Jamal Murray, I get the impression it's his defense that may be the difference maker in your mind as well. Yeah, there's no doubt. And and thanks once again for having me on. I appreciate it and had a good conversation with you, Sean, last night. Uh, yeah, I think that one of the guys that, that goes overlooked in this series is KCP because in the previous couple of series, you had a, an ideal matchup for him in Devin Booker or even switching on to Kevin Durant or Anthony Edwards in, in the first round. And this time around, it's a little bit more ambiguous because the Lakers don't really run their offense through a singular guard the entire time. So for KCP, I, I kind of equate it back to Gary Harris in the bubble, who the Nuggets had. He made a big impact against Donovan Mitchell in the bubble, as well as Paul George in the bubble. And then in the finals, in the Western Conference finals, he mostly disappeared and because there wasn't a great matchup for him in that situation. I'm wondering if that happens to KCP. I think it could go either way. I think that there's a possibility that he can still impact the series in a positive way, unlike what Gary Harris was able to do back in 2020. But that was the crux of the argument is that I don't know which direction this is going to go. If it goes Denver's way, then they probably win handily. If it doesn't go Denver's way and they can't really rely on KCP to be a massive impact guy, then the series could go long or it could go the Lakers' way. We talk about the matchups, and one thing that everybody expects to see, if not all the time and uh, certainly most of the time, is Jokic versus Davis and Gordon versus James. But what about other players in this series like Murray and Porter uh, from whom you expect offense, but what about at the defensive end of the court? Who does Murray guard? Who does Porter guard? Especially if the Lakers go with the same starting lineup as they did in game six against Golden State with Reeves and Russell and Shooter along with James and Davis. It's a tough one because I think that that's one of the advantages that the Lakers have on the offensive end for them if they go with three different point guards, because then that means Michael Porter Jr. probably has to guard one of those guys. Jamal Murray has to guard another. And you spread Denver out a little bit more. 
you make it so that everybody on the team can handle the basketball, can create a little bit. And Denver's defense does a little bit worse in those situations than in situations like against the Suns, where you could load up on the stars, you really concentrated on two guys. The, the Lakers have two stars, but if you're surrounding those guys with three different point guards, it's a little bit difficult. So if they stay with the same lineup, I would expect Jamal Murray to guard Dennis Schroeder. I would expect Michael Porter Jr. to guard Austin Reeves. And I would expect KCP to guard D'Angelo Russell. Though all three of those guys will have to be comfortable in all three of those matchups because the Lakers like to run actions that will have everybody switching anyway. So it's going to be cross matches. It's going to be chaos. And Denver's got to be disciplined. There are a lot of ways Denver can go. They can even zone against the Lakers. Uh, or have Jokic, if Vanderbilt is out there, essentially assigned to Vanderbilt, a guy you really don't have to guard, so he can roam uh, a little more and clog things up inside. But I, I guess my question to you is, uh, as opposed to the first two series, where it was pretty cut and dried for Denver defensively, how innovative does Michael Malone, a defensive-minded coach, have to be, do you imagine, in this series? There are going to be challenges that they haven't faced before. There are going to be things that, because Anthony Davis is a little bit more dynamic, obviously, than either Carl Anthony Towns, Rudy Gobert, or DeAndre Ayton on the short roll in the pick and roll. To be sure. There, there's going to be a lot more uh, attention that has to be paid to him. And the other dynamic of that is that if the Lakers do go small, it's going to be hard to hide Jokic on other guys. He's going to have to be able to guard Davis in space. And that's a tough prospect. That's obviously a tough proposition for Denver. Can they do it? And, and can the Lakers survive if they are reliant so heavily on Davis? I don't know. Like we're, we're going to have to see where that goes. But I do think that there are going to be ways that Michael Malone has to be creative. It might be putting KCP on LeBron. It's one of the reasons why I have him as an X factor. You have Aaron Gordon guarding Anthony Davis, or as you mentioned, Sandy going zone, because that's one of the things that can keep Denver out of rotation. It would put Denver in a tough position where they have to guard the three-point line a little bit better. But against the Lakers, a team that doesn't. Lakers not a great three-point shooting team. And, like the Nuggets, they don't take a lot of threes. Yeah, and that could be that could be a big factor there for a team that likes to crash into the paint, that likes to drive. Jokic obviously isn't the most deterring rim protector out there, but he's a guy that actually allows fewer shots at the rim than most other guys because of his positioning and because he's seven feet tall. So I have to imagine that Denver will play around with it. What they do in game one is very unlikely to be what they do in games five, six, or seven right. in this series. But right. uh, they're, they're going to have to evolve. And then some of that will be matchup-based and some of that will be personnel-based. For, for the Nuggets, if you were going to try to simplify these things, and you're talking about those, those numbers when they're guarding, uh, the players they're guarding, uh, what, what numbers do you think are the danger zone for the Nuggets? I mean, if Austin Reeves gets to what, uh, 20, you pointed out they're 4-0. You know, if it, is there certain numbers where you're like, uh-oh, this is going to be a problem? Or uh, is it a situation where defensively you're just trying to limit certain guys in certain situations? 
Well, the, the 20 points for Reeves is one. The reason why I wanted to highlight both Reeves and Russell in this series is because you know that LeBron is going to get his, Davis is going to get his. Where else can you limit those guys? Uh, Russell and Reeves each average in between 15 and 16 a game. That's right. If, Al- almost identical, right? In yeah, the playoffs, they, they almost it, identical they numbers. In, they do it in slightly different ways. Russell will take more shots most of the time, but Reeves can go off if he has a good matchup. And yep. so Denver's got to pay attention to both of them. They can't just uh, let one go and say, you can beat us. I think that they have to be willing to sell out to not, not sell out, but be willing to play straight up against LeBron and AD at times and, and make sure that Reeves and Russell aren't going to be the guys that kill you. The other number is the transition defense. That's that's one where if you are operating in the half court, the Lakers are going to struggle a little bit more. They like to get out in transition and the Nuggets they transition do. defense isn't very good. And so if you combine those two things and Denver gets behind the eight ball in transition, that's going to make sure Denver's at a, an upward battle for the entire game and the entire series. So Denver's got to come out strong there. They have to limit the transition points. If that gets up over 10 in the first game, then I'd be a little bit concerned. All right. Now coming into this, uh, into this particular game, we've talked about the importance of having home court earlier in the program because uh, the, the Nuggets, quite frankly, have never had it. And they've never really been in a situation like this uh, where they were the top seed before. How important is it? It is a seven-game series. You know, you and I have talked about it on the Pickaxe and Roll podcast. Sandy and I have been talking about it as well. We think the Nuggets are the better team. But how important is it to make sure that the Lakers don't get to do what they've done in their previous two series, and that is go on the road, win game one, and change the tenor of the whole thing? Well, so much of momentum in a playoff series is built on what the first game does. How how hard do the Lakers have to work to split the series? If they win the first game, then that means they can willingly give up the second game in the series and not have to try very hard. And then that allows them to set up well for games three and four. That's the exact uh, method that they used against both the Grizzlies and the and the Warriors. If they win game one, lose game two, then I think that they're going to still be okay in this series. The Lakers will be. If the Nuggets can win game one, it puts that much more on that much more pressure on the Lakers to win game two because they're going to go after game one trying to get it. If they miss, are they going to punt on game two like they have in the two previous matchups at times? I don't think so. I think they're going to try to go get game two. And so now you've got two games that LeBron James and Anthony Davis are going all out trying to win on the road at altitude. And with as short as the series is from a rest standpoint they're playing every other day all of that is mounting all of that is going to build as the series gets deeper the nuggets are a little bit more well suited to be able to handle that than the lakers are in my opinion so if denver can win game one it sets the tenor for the rest of the series and i think it puts the lakers behind the eight ball a little bit the lakers seem to have since the trade deadline developed uh, an identity and you're right that the areas in which they've gotten better, I think, center mostly on getting easier baskets than they were getting at the start of the year, uh, when as a jump-shooting team, we all know they aren't particularly good. Uh, even LeBron from three-point range in these playoffs is uh, shooting just a little bit better than 26%. 
the Nuggets have been very good in these playoffs, it seems to me, in limiting turnovers. That becomes even more important now, and clearly of the three teams they have faced or will be facing, the Lakers are the best in putting pressure on and creating opportunities in transition. So uh, the, the Nuggets need to shoot more free throws, and a lot of that depends on they're not turning the ball over as much as the Lakers do, right? No, for sure. I, I think one one thing I will say about the Suns is that they were great at getting out in transition to Devin Booker specifically, uh, but guys like Campaign and even Kevin Durant were, were able to drive the lane it, when, when Denver's defense wasn't set. It was when Denver's defense was set that Denver had a lot of success against the Suns. That's got to be the same formula against the Lakers. Denver cannot get caught with their hand in the cookie jar a little bit, trying to overextend to grab offensive rebounds, and then you miss on that, and then the Lakers get out in transition, and they dunk on all over you. And if they build up momentum in in those spots, then that's going to be difficult for Denver to overcome. So you don't want to let them get any of that momentum at at all. Limiting the transition defense numbers is so, so important for this series in particular because that's just how the Lakers operate. That's how LeBron James teams that's how how LeBron James teams operate more consistently throughout his career. Don't let them get out in transition and force them to work in the half court. The Nuggets, of course, are one of the league's best and in any metric at finishing at the rim and scoring efficiency within the paint. The challenge there, of course, is that the uh, the Lakers are a top 10 team in rim defense. And of course, uh, mm-hmm. Anthony Davis is about as good as anybody uh, anywhere when it comes to the rim protection, certainly the best guy left in the in the postseason. So uh, how do the Nuggets maximize their strength against a team that actually does do a very good job of defending against it? Well, so much of the Lakers' success so far in these playoffs has allowed Anthony Davis to hang back in the rim a little bit, uh, make sure to not vacate the paint so much when he's having to face guys like Kevon Looney and Draymond Green and Xavier Tillman and even even Jaron Jackson Jr., who can shoot, not as dangerous as, as Jokic on the perimeter, not as dangerous as, as Denver's overall perimeter attack. I think that if the Nuggets are going to open up the paint, they're going to have to be cutting. They're going to have to be moving. Yep. Uh, so much of, of paint points come in transition as well. So Denver's going to have to get out there. And if, if Denver can set up, like like hypothetically, if the Lakers do start with their small lineup, Michael Porter Jr. can't stand on the perimeter and bail them yeah. out. He has to screen and cut and roll and yeah. offensive rebound. Exactly. And if he does, then Denver's got a great advantage in this one. But he has to be tough. He has to be gritty. And he has to be willing to do some of the dirty stuff as opposed to just shooting open jumpers. So we're going to see what it looks like. But but that's that's a guy that I've got my, my, my eye on, too. Which nugget has the most at stake, in your opinion, in this series turning out successfully or perhaps paying the price if the series does not turn out successfully? I think it's probably still Jokic just because if he is going to be an MVP, a, an all-time great, you have to win. It's just a requirement. And, and Denver, even though it's the Lakers, even though even though it's, it's still a tough situation to be in, this is the best opportunity that the Nuggets have ever had. You look around the landscape, Giannis is out, the Bucks are out. Joel Embiid and the Sixers are out. Uh, Phoenix and, and Devin Booker, Kevin Durant are out. 
a lot of the teams that you assumed might be there, including Golden States, including the Clippers, hypothetically at the beginning of the year, uh, a lot of those teams have fallen by the wayside. And you look on the other side of the conference and think, okay, it's either Boston or Miami. Both good teams, but I don't know if either of them scare you. So I, I think if you're the Nuggets, this is the best opportunity you've ever had in franchise history. And for Jokic, this in his prime, in his dead prime, where he's averaging 35-point triple-doubles in a playoff series, this is the, the best he's ever played and maybe the best he ever will play. So if you, if you can't take advantage of this matchup and, and you can't get past what is a flawed Lakers team despite the fact that they're good, I, I would still I, – I think he's going to have some critics. That, that's for sure. But it, it could flip one way or the other. If he gets the title, if the Nuggets get the title, then he goes down as an all-time great. If he doesn't, and this is an opportunity where he falters, even if he's in an advantageous position, then he looks a lot more like Steve Nash or Charles Barkley than he does like Hakeem Olajuwon or Dirk Nowitzki. I guess the, if the career were to end that way, I think that's a fair assessment. But of course, I agree with you exactly. This is the, and Sandy agrees too, this is the best shot the Nuggets have ever had to win. And you will want to make sure you follow Ryan Blackburn, NBA Blackburn on Twitter. Catch everything he's putting together over at Mile High Sports. Terrific work there. Uh, nobody does more interesting and comprehensive work on the Denver Nuggets in the market. And check out the Pickaxe and Roll podcast. He is up late doing the work. We were recording that podcast at uh, 10 p.m. last night, going live on YouTube with uh, with people watching it. So looking forward to that. Make sure you check it out. Uh, also, the Pickaxe and Roll podcast, anywhere you can find it, for podcasts, My Life Sports, or on YouTube as well. Uh, Ryan, obviously, it's a, it's a big couple weeks of work coming up for you, but uh, I know that you and I have discussed it. Uh, this is what we do it for. So looking forward to it. Thanks so much. Looking forward to the opportunity, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. Go Nuggets. All right, thanks so much, Ryan Blackburn, joining us. And uh, obviously, we'll, we'll get into more of some of what he said in just a little bit. But uh, the Nuggets want to go out there in game one. They would love to get a win. They want to get a win. Well, they need to get a win. Well, you could debate that. But if you are hurt, you need to get a win. And that means you need to talk to our friends at Burnham Law. That's BurnhamLaw.com. The phone number is 720-845-7001. Hire the winner and their personal injury attorneys have had years of experience fighting for the clients so you know that's what they do. They have locations in Fort Collins and Boulder, Westminster, Cherry Creek, the DTC, Colorado Springs, even up in Cheyenne. And when you're injured, they'll push for you to get that maximum recovery, whether it's by settlement or by trial. They will get you right in the best way that you can get right as quickly as you can. So when you're hurt, don't just hire someone off the billboard. Hire the group that will fight for you. Hire the winners. That's Burnham Law. BurnhamLaw.com, 720-845-7001. Sandy, you have talked about it. Well, we talked about it with uh, Ryan here just, just a couple moments ago. Transition, pace, number of shots. It's how teams are winning in the NBA. Against a team that is far better defensively equipped in the Lakers than the Phoenix Suns were. What can the Nuggets do differently to continue to make sure their offense generates the points it has been? We'll talk about it next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. 
Sandy, you correctly pointed out at the very early parts of this playoffs, talking about the nature of pace and how the Denver Nuggets play better at pace. Now, they are facing a Lakers team that is best in transition where the Denver Nuggets defense, uh, statistically at least, is the worst. Now, they avoid that, as you pointed out, by taking care of the ball and making sure that you box out and, and get the rebounds that you need to get to make sure that things can't open up. But the number of shots, the pace that you play at against a team that is better set up defensively, LeBron James is an outstanding defender. Uh, Anthony Davis is a defensive player of the year level defender at his best. Uh, this is a different team to go ahead and get shots up against. So what do the Nuggets need to do offensively when it looks different? If you're just watching them take the ball down the court, how do you expect this to look compared to what they were doing against a Phoenix team that offered very little in the way of yeah, defense? Yeah, there's no resistance. And I think Davis, uh, at times, because he's up and down offensively, uh, is is defined that way as a complete player. Um, when he's healthy, to be sure, he is not up and down defensively. <laughs> he's, a, he's a factor defensively when he's healthy. Right. That doesn't change. He doesn't go from five blocks in one game to zero the next. He, he's going to block three shots, two shots, four shots, between two and four shots. It's not yeah. every game. Every game. What, right. what you've got to do is find a way to get easy baskets and keep from playing against their set defense. And again, in transition, you can get pain points mm -hmm. a little more easily. And I think especially here, um, the Nuggets need to try, because this is a good rebounding team. And I think both teams are good rebounding teams. Yep, they are. V even very good. Mm -hmm. rebounding teams. So I, I don't think there's much to choose there. Uh, getting up more shots, playing at a higher pace, and uh, matching the Lakers in free throw attempts. Now, I'm looking at the Lakers in the playoffs. Uh, it, they shot uh, in the first round 80%, in the second round 79%. The Nuggets shot 79%. In the first round, and eighty-three and a half percent in the second round, so they're about the same. Gonna they're need both, to, gonna they're need they're to both make good those free shots. Yep. Shooting teams, so the team that gets more free throws and more overall shot attempts, and finds a way to get easy buckets. There won't be a lot of them, I suspect, in this series. There won't be a lot of them. I don't expect there to be a lot of turnovers. This isn't going to be I, games I in the high one twenties No, I don't think so. It's not going to be run and gun. Mm -mm. Uh, it, it's it's not going to be played at uh, at a particularly high pace, but uh, you, if, if you're the Nuggets, you you have to avoid those occasional patches where you get a little sloppy and take a few bad shots, and especially missed three pointers uh, are going to result in the Lakers being able to get out in transition. One point that I think is going to be important, and we haven't talked about it yet, is that if James defensively is playing the kind of rover position that sometimes teams like to do with their best players, 
to give them a little bit of a break. When he drifts, I don't want Aaron Gordon taking a lot of threes, but there are open threes in this series that he's mm. going to have to make when James drifts off him. Assuming that James doesn't, and the Nuggets have to be aware, James drifts because he's got quick hands and is very good. He's averaging nearly a steal a game in these playoffs. But there will be open threes that that he's he's going to have to make, and there is some good news in the fact that um, whether he's been more open than usual than he was during the regular season, let's say, from three-point land, or because he's just shooting threes better in these playoffs. Uh, the most interesting individual stat for me it's not that Jokic is making 47.5% of his threes. It's not that Murray is making 39.5% of his threes in the playoffs. It's not that Porter is making 40% of its threes. So that Aaron Gordon's making 38.5% of right. his threes. Now. And maybe it's a combination of good shot selection, and perhaps he's found a little bit of a rhythm where he's taking just enough threes, not too many and not too few. But if he keeps passing up, remember when uh, I think it was the Golden State Series, and one of the reasons I think that they uh, took Vanderbilt out of the starting lineup, the Warriors weren't paying any attention to him, and they no. had they had Draymond. They could, they could leave him there. Yeah, they just left Draymond him alone. Green just roving around when right. Vanderbilt was on the court. And I, I think... James will be that guy in this series, and it will be important uh, that uh, Gordon, in particular, uh, hits a high percentage. But, now, Gordon uh, in his career, boy, Sandy, the Nuggets have been good from three-point land, 39% and 37% the first two series. Are you concerned? Because 32.5% is is Gordon's career average from yeah. three. Uh, not not at the level, you know, not in the, the level he's been shooting at. Now, it's not crazy above normal, but it is notably above normal. And uh, if the numbers that he's been shooting in the playoffs were to hold up, it would be the best of his career. Well, they're good threes and they're bad threes. Right. And and, and shot selection could be part of it over the course of his career, I, sure. I think is is a large part of it. And I think his shot selection in the playoffs really has been quite good. And uh, overall from the field, he's shooting better than 47%. He's shooting a higher percentage than Michael Porter shoots. Mm-hmm. And Porter isn't shooting badly. shooting a higher percentage than Jamal Murray is shooting. Murray is not shooting badly. Gordon is averaging better than 13 points a game in the playoffs. He doesn't have to average 15 to 20. Um, Porter, 15 to 20. Murray, 20 to 25. Yeah, it's going to be that. Jokic, 30 to 35. But it, 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 if all those things are true, and I can't see why they wouldn't be in this series, uh, you have Gordon around 13, 14 points per game. And making the two open threes that they're daring him to take. Now, I, if you're asking, do, do they want him to shoot three? Yeah, they want him to shoot a lot of threes. They want him, uh, you know, walking into threes. They want him getting the ball in the corner and, and not moving it quickly and holding it, holding it. And finally, as a last resort, taking a three right. that's contested. That's the kind of three they want him to take. They will dare him, I suspect, to take threes. I, 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 who else do you, uh, on three-pointers, do you want shooting wide-open threes? Jokic? No. 
Murray, no. Porter, it, yeah. no. It'll be Gordon. Uh, Even Caldwell, Caldwell Pope, Pope, no. Right, not Gordon, open threes. Yeah, yeah. Even though he's it's making Gordon. 38.5%. KCP shooting better from three-point range. Porter shooting better from three-point range. Murray shooting better, and Jokic is shooting better. So he is still the guy you you want taking those shots. But, it, again, there'll be maybe just two or three instances in a game where he's wide open and they're daring him to shoot. And if he's – unless you want to play four on five, he's got to take that shot. And the Lakers with Vanderbilt, I think, felt they were playing a little too much four on five. And so they put Schroeder out there, who isn't a great three-point shooter, uh, but he's – but you, you can't, he's decent. You can't leave him alone. He's average. Yeah, you maybe can't even slightly him. below little, average. Yeah, but you, but you can't leave wanna, him alone. You don't want him let him shoot no. normally uncontested. So uh, you know, even Walker uh, shot better uh, than thirty nine percent in in both series, mostly mm-hmm. in uh, the Golden State series when he played a lot more. So yeah, they, they, there are a lot of things about this series. Keep in mind, by that way, I think uh, are going to be interesting and. The, the Nuggets have to be efficient uh, and uh, try to get to the foul line uh, or get as many easy baskets as they can get. They'll be hard to come by. And, you know, but again, at home, it seems a little more comfortable. Lakers haven't lost at home in the playoffs. Right. Nuggets haven't lost at home in the playoffs. Well, you know uh, what? I'm not going out on a limb when I think it'll. Uh, I say I think it'll if, be. A if home you're court. a Nuggets fan, uh, I think you're okay with that holding up for both ends, right? Because the Nuggets get four uh, of these why games. Game one is is more important than most than usual. ones yeah, usually are. I agree. Because the Lakers, because they finished where they did, the Lakers in seventh have not had home court advantage, even against six seed of Golden State. And they've won the first game both times, and they, they they beat Memphis pretty handily. The Golden State Laker game one was, I thought, the best game of the series in that both teams played well and both teams could have won, and neither team should have won. And I, I think, you know, Golden State came back and blew them out in game two, but that game one win gave the Lakers tremendous confidence because they're thinking – we're not, these guys don't have a great history of beating us here anyway, and we're playing great at home. We get that first one, we put them back on their heels right, right Immediately. away. And then they've got to win four out of six games, yeah. and, they, and, and they have only uh, three chances to win on our court. And this is where the, the, the history, I think, for the Nuggets weighs a little bit. Now, not necessarily on, on the players themselves who maybe don't care, but they're, look, at the same time, the players are aware. Every player in the Denver Nuggets jersey is aware the Denver Nuggets have never gone to the NBA Finals. They're aware of that. They know that. They would very much like to be the, the guys oh, that, they, that break they're, that seal. E- even and, now, they're kind of in, for a Nugget team in May, historically, maybe the 1976 uh, ABA uh, team that made the, the ABA Finals in the last season of the ABA, uh, maybe in May they were just as confident, but no Nugget team has felt quite this way but in the month of May. Game one, like you said. Now, all of a sudden, you know, it tips over. You have to win four or six. Uh, 
you, you've lost one of your own home games in that span. And all of a sudden, the, the weight of history, the here we go again, even though it didn't directly happen to you, still yeah. comes into play. No We've doubt. seen it it's with organizations. Exactly. And I think it's absolutely critical that the Nuggets find a way to get this one. It doesn't matter if it's by one or by a dozen. But they have to find a way, I think, to get this one because you need to avoid that. The Lakers, uh, this is, they're the Lakers. They're the, they're the New York Yankees. They're... Uh, you know, you know what you you pick whatever team in whatever sport you'd like, and there is always one of those teams that has a footprint that is larger than everybody else's. And because of that, you feel that you're fighting against a bit of of inertia that is that it, that yeah. extends beyond you. And it's important for the Nuggets to not to to go away from that. And I think Nikola Jokic is perfectly uh, sort of to, attuned to that being that kind of guy, but. Lose tonight, and some of those things creep into your dreams a little bit. And that's why I think it's so important for, for the Nuggets to just dispel some of those demons tonight, get a win, focus up, get this one, and I think everything changes. Because the narrative for the national media is still about, but how about the Lakers? But how about LeBron? But how about Anthony Davis? There are reasons for it. It is a little bit uh, lazy, to be totally honest, and and uh, Sandy can speak to that as well. But there is a way to put the Lakers on their heels and put the pressure on the Lakers externally like the Nuggets have on them right now. We'll talk about how to do that next on Mile High Sports. Thanks to everyone who's been uh, listening to the show today, whether it's on MileHighSports.com or on the free Miley Sports app or, of course, uh, on the station, 98.1 FM, 107.5 HD3. And for people who have interacted with it, the call and text line is 303-831-1340. Danny Bailey in the booth, our uh, producer extraordinaire, has a text. Yeah, Sean and Sandy, we've got Roger who texted in. He's a loyal listener, so thanks for listening and texting in, Roger. He said there's got to be context to Malone and his employment status. If the Nuggets get swept, he's out. If he loses in the championship on a buzzer beater, he probably stays. There are gray areas. So it's not just does he win the championship or right. not. There's yeah, a lot no, more involved. I, I'm not being that absolute about it. I, I'm just saying uh, fourth most tenured uh, coach in the league, and to my way of thinking, rightfully so, Um Nine years, though, without winning a championship, we all know, especially in the NHL and in the NBA, that's not unprecedented, but it is highly unusual. Witness what happened to uh, some of the leading candidates for the open jobs who, who, have, been, uh, who have been fired, Budenholzer. Uh, Sam Cassell's different. Uh, he'd be a, a first-time head coach if uh, he got one of these jobs. Uh, Nick Nurse won a title uh, but was out four years later in Toronto. Uh, Monty Williams got to the finals uh, two years ago. Uh, he's out in Phoenix. Woodenholzer uh, obviously won a title uh, two years ago. I just think when you – and obviously Popovich is in a different sort of category and now – coaches because apparently he likes to coach and doesn't care about his lifetime winning percentage. You've got Kerr, uh, who was recently his last year, 
uh, there put are, another championship out there, and then you got Spolstra. That's what I was about to say. There's three guys who, who I did think, win two championships yep. with James and Wade and Bosch, but he also got to the conference finals uh, with uh, at, at the NBA finals mm-hmm. uh, without nearly as much talent, and he's now in the conference finals as an eight seed. Right. What uh, you know, and and just that's probably along with San Antonio now, the two most stable organizations, uh, one in the West, that would be San Antonio, and one in the East, and that would be uh, Riley and Spolstra and and the Miami Heat. Five Eastern well, Conference titles for Spolstra, two championships. Yeah, yeah. And I look at, and yeah. of course, Spolstra is uh, the last one standing because, of course, the Heat are still here. That's right. And keep in mind, but I, but I look at that, and I think that Kerr, Spolstra, and Popovich, are the only three guys left in the NBA that they'll get to decide when they leave. Yeah, yeah. And I, that's it. I, Those are the only three. I, I agree. And I'm not saying, uh, certainly, that Malone is, has reached that point, but I, I think it's to his credit he's lasted nine years, and there's been a sense of progress with, uh, you know, some setbacks here and there. But now's the time he's got the goods. And I know we asked the question uh, earlier, um, but I, I think the the way it was interpreted was it of the Nugget players who has the most at stake. And, not, you know, for history's sake, it would be Jokic uh, because he's the one Nugget who has a chance to be an all-time great. Uh, and by all-time great, I mean top 10, 15 player in the history of the sport. Um, I think he kind of sort of is. I think anybody who wins multiple MVPs right. is an all-time great by definition. But – a coach with Malone's record to be now, you know, it's maybe a, a bit compensatory in the sense that he didn't get the kind of time in Sacramento that he probably deserved. He was fired prematurely and he comes here and, uh, you know, it, again, mostly to his credit that he survived two separate administrations. Um, but, I think now uh, this is a critical juncture for him. And I, I think there there's a certain consensus on whether you like it or not on the way he coaches. I mean, I don't, I don't think people are arguing about his methods. They either like him or they don't, they know what the methods are. There's a consensus on what his methods are and uh, the, the level of intensity mm-hmm. that he brings uh, but it, it, it's it, it's an interesting mix, uh, intensity, uh, conviction, uh, stubbornness. Uh, it, it's it's now put to the test to see if he can find a way in this series. Uh, not that we expect him to go outside the eight people he's used basically in the playoffs so far. But how exactly do you match those people up in which situations? Because I I think you're going to have to guard, let's just take Davis and James and forget about the rest of them. You're going to have to guard Davis with different people. And you're going to have to guard James with different people. And you're going to have to give him a lot of defensive looks. And that is supposed to be Michael Malone's forte. I'm not being sarcastic when I say that. that that is his calling card. And the Nuggets have been a better-than-average defensive team during the season. And in the postseason, they've been better than they were during the regular season. 
defensively. Right. This is his area of expertise, and I think it's the way this series is is going to be decided on the defensive end of the court. At least the Nuggets have to match the Lakers. And, you know, James and Davis are better defensive players than Jokic Certainly. and Murray are. Certainly. They're better. Actually, the, those are the two best defensive players in this series. In the series. That's the truth. But and the that's best, going to be one of the challenges. The best offensive player is Jokic. Far and away. Yes. I mean, he's averaging better than 30 points per game in these playoffs. That is nothing short of amazing. Almost 31 points per game. And he's doing it so effortlessly. Uh, you know, it, you could you could see back in the day when Jordan did it or even further back with West or, or with Booker for a while this year in the playoffs. I mean, they were spectacular. I mean, you're just, you're, you're astonished by what they did. Tatum the other day, oh, astonishing, right. but churning out game after game, 30 to 35 points, which Jokic has done in these plays. You don't see Jokic going for seven points and four rebounds. No. In any And you know what, Sandy, game. that is to my and mind. he won't in this series That's either. the biggest, we talk about X factors, right? Maybe the biggest X factor in this whole series is exactly what you hit on. In this playoffs, although on the averages, he's been very good. Anthony Davis leads all people, all players in the playoffs in rebounds and in blocks. By a fair margin. But yes. Anthony Davis has had subpar games in the playoffs. Yep. He has had outstanding yep. games, and he's had subpar games. Jokic is a metronome. Every single time out, you will get a good to great performance every single night. There is no difference. The guy has simply reached a point that very few players in their careers do. That Michael Jordan did, that, uh, you know, the Shaquille O'Neal's of the world did, that the true great players who just don't have atrocious stinker games. The floor for Nikola Jokic is so consistent. The, the ability for Davis to match that, that may be the biggest X factor in this entire series. You know what you'll get out of Nikola Jokic no matter who's guarding him, and even if it's a great defender like Anthony Davis. We don't know what we'll get out of Anthony Davis. Offensively. Right. Offensively, you don't. And it's 21.2 points per game, but it's up and down. It's 30, and then it might be 12 in the next game. And that's how it comes out to 21 points. With Jokic, it's... 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, and sometimes a little more than that, as in the 53-point game, which that would acknowledge over the course of 11 playoff games so far, the fact that he got 53 is the reason he's averaging more than 30. In fact, more than 30 and a half points per game. But still, that you know, you have a game like the 53-point game. I don't even think Jokic believes that was his best game by any stretch of no. the imagination in these playoffs. And the Nuggets lost the game. And in his playoff history, when he scored more than 43 times, they've lost every game. And most of them pretty well, convincingly. It's, it's kind of how it works in you know the NFL when you have a 400-yard passer. The odds exactly. are you probably lost. Exactly, because you're throwing too much. Uh, and, and your quarterback might bring up nice stats, but he's probably also getting hit. The more he throws, the more he's... He, the chances are 
he he's going to get hit uh, maybe a little more often than he should be. So I, I, I just think this is a very interesting series on all levels. And on the sidelines, the pressure on Malone over nine years is much greater than the pressure on Darvin Ham, who could get swept out of this series, and people still say after a 2-10 and 10 start, great job. We want more of what you bring. Entirely fair. Of course, the uh, Western Conference Finals start tonight, and th- this is so interesting because obviously uh, the Nuggets are trying to reach somewhere they've never been before, and we've talked about this uh, a lot over the course of the program. This is the best opportunity the Nuggets have ever had to not only get to the finals, but to win it ever in their history. And that makes things interesting. And so I, I look at this from a personal note where, you know, I, I, I was born and raised in Colorado and I've uh, watched this team for a long time. I've covered the NBA and the Nuggets since the, uh, uh, since the late nineties. And you know, while I, while I tell you it, that I don't, I'm not one of those folks who'll tell you that, Oh, I don't root for any teams. I don't care about, well, cause sometimes I'll, I'll tell you, I, I think that's a little bit of bull. Cause of course you do. If you, didn't like sports and didn't enjoy something about sports growing up, you don't get into this business because this business is patently ridiculous and it makes things really complicated. So, but I look at it and think at times when you hear, okay, but you know, Sean, how can you say you, you want the nuggets to win this? Uh, Because, you know, I've I've grown up here and I've watched the nuggets not ever have a chance. I I can. It doesn't mean that I can't break them down fairly. No, it doesn't look defense lawyers can go to court and defend people. They know murdered someone. Okay. And get them off the hook. Believe me, I can tell you what the Nuggets did well and what they didn't do well. There's a professional detachment. Happens in all sorts of businesses. And it happens in this one, too. Six of the seven previous series between these two teams have seen the Lakers win game one. The only time the Nuggets won game one was in the miniseries in 1979, best of three, Mm -hmm. and they won game one. First playoff game they ever played against the Lakers at Old McNichols Arena, 110 to 105. Otherwise, the Lakers win game one every time. Every single time. Now it's the Nuggets who, for the first time since 1979, are playing the Lakers in a series where they have home court advantage and they need to win game one. Today. They do indeed. We will take a look at it, of course, tomorrow. Vinny Benedetto of the Denver Gazette will break it down with us. Thanks to Ryan Blackburn, who... I spent a lot of time breaking it down, uh, previewing game one. Uh, if you missed any part of his Pickaxe and Roll podcast, I joined that for about uh, an hour and 15 minutes last night. Check that out at MyLifeSports.com or wherever you get your podcasts or even on YouTube. Sandy and I will be back tomorrow looking forward to talking about what is hopefully a, a game one win for the Denver Nuggets. I mean, geez, things have got to turn around eventually, right? We will find out, but it's time for us to hand things over to our friends at Afternoon Drive. Cody Rourke and Anilo Piro. Thanks to Danny Bailey and Andrew Detmer in the booth making everything work, but most importantly, thanks to you for listening, for watching, for interacting. All of it. We'll be back tomorrow with more. For Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. Keep it right here on Mile High Sports.